Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you all. It's uh, so great to be able to start off uh, this morning with a baby dedication. And uh, honey, are we good on that? Got any more kids? No? Okay. I thought we were up to date on that. But, um, you know, as I've been going through this passage this week, you know, it's been, it looked a whole lot different to me um, until Pastor Sam read it this morning. I don't know, I'm going to just kind of read the version that I was going from this week, and maybe you can understand um, maybe kind of how I was confounded this week. But it says, he also said to his disciples, there was a father who had a teenager, and charges were brought to him that this teenager was wasting his possessions. You can see how this is going for me this week. And he called to his teenager and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Turn in your car keys, (laughs) for you can no longer be my teenager. And the teenager said to himself, what shall I do? Since I've been playing video games in my bedroom and I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to go on Instagram and beg. So you can see my dilemma here this morning. Now what am I going to do? All kidding aside, um, I am grateful to be able to bring God's word to you here this morning. Uh, And thankful to Jake for his message last week because we know that a true father, uh, the the father of a prodigal, the example that we have of God there in that passage that Jake shared last week, um, would not in any way cast a teenager out. And so we're grateful for that. But as we look at this parable today, um, just to kind of give you an idea, the title for this message is uh, A a Worthy Welcome, A Worthy Welcome. And so just as Pastor Sam had shared in his prayer this morning, uh, we come here and this is a parable that Jesus teaches us from that's about our wealth, our money, our finances, and that can sometimes be uncomfortable for folks. And in fact... A lot of people say that this is the hardest of the parables that Jesus has actually presented. So um, we're going to dig through this, and I've got a few points that we're going to go through. We're going to go through the parable. We're going to take a look at the meaning, okay? And after that, some personal application. And then uh, finally, um, the Lord's love. And so those will be the four points for this morning if you're trying to follow along. Hope that works for you. Um, I can kind of... But anyway... Um, So we're going to look at the parable. We're just going to walk through this, and I'm going to point out some things from this parable that may help us in our understanding and being able to say, hey, what is it that Christ wants me to understand from this? Because that's why we're here. We believe that this is the inspired Word of God, and that through this Word, we can become more like Him. And so let's take a look at this. And so first off, we have here in verse 1, he also said to his disciples. So if you remember correctly, over the last couple of weeks, we've been going through this book of Luke, and specifically we see where Jesus, at the beginning of chapter 15, he's having a meal, and there are tax collectors and sinners there. And so the first uh, couple of examples of lost things, a lost coin, right, those things, we see that Jesus is talking specifically to those tax collectors and sinners. But then we see, as, as um, Jake was preaching last week, that we have this, the prodigal son. And we have this parable where now Jesus' attention has gone towards the Pharisees. And today, 
we see that now, in, even in this beginning verse, he's turned his self, now he's speaking specifically to his disciples. And if you're, if you're new to church, you don't come here very often, I'll, I apologize right now because there's some words that we use that may not be familiar to you, but a disciple is basically a student or it's a follower. It's someone who says, hey, Jesus, I believe in him. I am going to follow him. I want to learn from him. And so these people that are following Jesus are coming to learn from Jesus. And Jesus stops all of these discussions that he's having and turns over to these followers of his, and he has a specific message for them. And what does he say? He says, there was a rich man who had a manager and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. So let's look first at this. How rich was he? Okay? So if we take a look at how rich he was, we can see a couple of things later in the passage in this parable that we see that will give us a clue on how rich this person was. First off, we can see that he has a manager. I do not have a money manager. Okay? So that's the first indication. But this money manager, he is overseeing debts for this rich man. In fact, down below, if we take a look in verse 6, we'll see one person who owes this rich man debts. He has a hundred measures of oil. Just to kind of give you an idea of what that means, that's around 875 gallons of oil. Yeah, that's a lot of oil. 875. So scholars would look at this and say, hey, this is around two to three years worth of income. Okay? So for instance, the average person in Knoxville, this would be somewhere between $100,000 and $150,000 worth of debt that this person owes to the rich manager, to the, excuse me, to the rich man. And this manager is overseeing it. So that's a, that's a lot of debt. But then we can also see then in, in just a little bit uh, there in verse 7, we have another debtor that owes him a hundred measures of wheat. Okay? That equates to somewhere between 1,000 and 1,200 bushels of wheat. Okay? So if we want to think about this auditorium, if we put a bushel basket, okay? Some of you probably know bushel baskets because you've collected apples or something like that in them. If we take a bushel and we set it in every chair, okay, and then... We put another one on top of that, we'd have about a thousand bushels in here. That's a lot of wheat. That is a lot of wheat. In fact, that's going to be about uh, about a hundred acres. And one person's income, this person who owes this, that's about eight years worth of income. So on the average, again in Knoxville, if we think maybe fifty thousand is an average number, that's four hundred thousand dollars worth of debt. So this rich man in particular here, between just these two debtors that we know about from this parable, has somewhere between five and five, excuse me, but somewhere between five hundred and five hundred and fifty thousand dollars tied up in what he's lent to just two people that we know of. I don't have that kind of money. Now I see why he needs a money manager. Now I see why he needs a money manager. So we can understand now how rich this person is. But you know what? There's also another aspect of this. In order to get 1,000 or 1,200 bushels of wheat, that would equate to 100 acres of land. And so when you look essentially at this gentleman, this rich man, he is a landowner. 
he owns hundreds of acres. And what he's doing is, is see, he's letting out part of his land to these different people who owe him. These people that owe him, they're actually farming on his property. And they're supposed to be paying him royalties. And so he has huge amounts of property. And so now, now we can get the picture of this individual and how rich he is. And we can start to put it a little bit in terms of our own self and where we live today. Well, then we also have this money manager. Okay? And so if we look at verse 2, it says, And he called him and said to him, What is it that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. So we have a manager here. And what do we learn about this manager? In verse 1, we first learn that he's wasting the rich man's possessions. He's wasting it. It doesn't say how he's wasting it, but it says that he's wasting it. It's also, some of your versions, if you use a different version of the Bible, may say squandering. Okay? He is just, without purpose, wasting possessions of this rich man. And again, it doesn't say what it is, but we find out that there's a person who's supposed to be managing these debts. He's in charge of financial accounting. And he's wasting money. Can you see the problem here? You can't be one who's supposed to be over money and wasting money at the same time. We'll get more into that as we go on. And so we're starting to learn a little bit more about the people. It, is, it says there in verse 2, and he called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Again, this rich man is hearing things about this manager. Again, once again, the wealth that we see of this rich man. That he may not be as in touch. He may not be directly looking at the books of this manager. He may not be inspecting everything and if we are completely gracious here, it may be that he has a checks and balances, and the checks and balances are letting him know that, hey, something's not adding up with what this manager is doing with your funds. And so he goes and approaches him. And he says, turn an account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. So here we are. This is Act 1. We have the scene here. And now at the end of Act 1, we have a manager who's just been fired. We get to verse 3. In verse 3, and the manager said to himself, What shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? He's having a moment of reflection upon himself. He's saying, uh-oh, now What? It took this whole scenario in order to bring this manager to this point. This manager was out there wasting these possessions, not caring about things, until it was brought to his attention that it was going to affect his way of life. Once it affected his way of life, now all of a sudden he's like, wait a minute, what am I going to do? And maybe for some of you today, this is where you are. Maybe the world has got you so busy that you, don't, you can't have an opportunity to stop and examine yourself and say, hey, how am I doing with my life? How am I doing with my life? Well, this manager, in the second half of verse 3, he says, What shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed 
to beg. He's going, he's suddenly considering, hey, I've been in this white-collar position for so long, I don't want to go out there. I can't go out there and dig a hole anymore. I'm not strong enough to do that. And I don't want to go and beg. So he's looking at what happened to him and saying, what are my options? What are my options? How am I going to do this? And in verse 4, he says, I have decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So we're going to stop there just for a moment. There's a word here. It's in both verses 3 and 4 and later in verse 9. And in verse 3, it, it, this word is poleo. Can you say poleo? Okay, one more time. Poleo. Okay, it's Greek. So I don't know if that's right or not, but that's the way I'm saying it. <laughs> but it's in verse 3, verse 4, and verse 9. And this word means to do or to make. And it keeps repeating throughout this passage. And you'll see it in verse 3, what shall I do? In verse 4, I have decided what to do. Okay? So he is trying to find out what action he's supposed to take. In verse 9, later on, he says, I, and this is, this is a, he says, I tell you, make friends, right? This is Jesus talking, the master talking, make friends. Make, that's the same word, paleo, just to do something or to make something. And so what I would tell you first off today is you can't get stuck in your self-reflection. Yes, you should do some self-examination. Yes, you should take yourself before the Lord. Yes, you should search out the Bible, but don't get stuck there. At some point, you need to paleo. You need to do something. So that would be the first thing I would say. But that is here in this, in this verse 3, verse 4, and verse 9. You know, in fact, if we look over in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25, we have a similar account. Matthew, chapter 25, I'll read this to you, verses 24 to 28. Jesus, in another parable, um, you'll all rec recognize this parable. It's the, uh, the parable of the talents. Verse 24, he also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you, you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his ma master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scatter no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. Do you see here we have another parable from Jesus where again Jesus is saying, don't just go and, and do nothing. Right? And so we have to be wise with our wealth. We have to be wise with our wealth. Well, we need to continue to move along here because time's going too fast. Verse 5. So, summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. And we've already talked 
a little bit about that. But in some important points here, some people say, well, maybe this was traditional custom. That depends on the scholars that you talk to. Maybe this was a custom of forgiving his own portion, right? So sometimes if you were a manager, there would be some debt that was owed, and you could keep a portion of that as your finder's fee or your commissioner, however you wanted to look at it, right? I, I don't personally believe that, because when I look at it, it says, it says here, how much do you owe my master? Okay? It doesn't say, how much is the debt? It says, how much do you owe my master? And I say, this is all the master's debt. This is all the rich man's debt. Debt. Verse 6, he said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. So again, we see where it appears that this manager is trying to move in a way that he can get this done before the rich man comes and finds out what's happening. If this was just his own commission that he was taken off, I'm not sure that it would be a necessity to have to move as quickly as, as, as this was happening. So I would say that. But what do we see here? We see evidence here that this manager, back, right, just like he said in verse 5, I have decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. You see, part of the, the, the culture at the time was as if you were um, someone who served a rich man, you would be provided with housing as well. And so now you understand the gravity of what was happening here. The rich man said, you're fired. And what that meant was, not only are you not going to have income, but you're also not going to have a place to live. And so he's saying, what should I do? What can I do? And he comes up with this plan to secure that he won't become homeless. And so now, in verses 6 and 7, he's executing that plan. He's going to these debtors. He's going first to the one that owes him the equivalent of $150,000 two to three years worth of labor. And what does he say? Take your bill, sit down quickly, and write 50. He says, I want for you, I'm going to take a year and a half off of your debt. A year and a half of working hard. Is that unbelievable? But wait, it gets better. Then he said to another in verse 7, and how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. Remember I told you that would be somewhere between eight to ten years? Again, another year and a half to two years written off of work. Can you imagine if the, the company, the bank that holds your mortgage said, hey, we'd like you to come in. We're going to reduce your debt by 20%. We're just going to write off part of your mortgage. We'd all be out of here right now. <laughs> this, that's, that's incredible. That's incredible. And so you understand his plan. He says, I am going to be homeless, so I'm going to go forth, and I'm going to make sure that I will have people that really, really are going to welcome me. They're going to welcome me because of what I've done for them. I have written off part of what they owe, and in return, I'll go up and knock, knock, knock. 
Hey, do you have some spare change? Oh, hey. You know, I lost my job. Oh, mind if I stay here for a little while? Come on in. Are you kidding me? So we can see the plan taking, taking its shape here. Verse 8. Here we go. The master's coming back. The rich man's coming back. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. So last week, Jake used this amazing story or illustration of this Olympic archer. And, uh, you know, I was thinking, hey, and I was trying to figure out an illustration. Man, you know what? I think I got Jake on this one. Okay? So um, I was in 11th grade. And, you know, I was kind of in between sports, wasn't sure what I was going to do. I had been playing lacrosse, and, you know, I thought about playing baseball, but I wasn't sure. So I decided this spring, I'm going to go, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run track. Hey, you may not know, I was a slender, good-looking dude, okay? <laughs> and I could run, okay? So I joined the track team, and I did shot put and a couple other things, but you know what? My race was the 800-meter race. The 800, so, what, so if you don't know, uh, on a track, if you take a look at a track, one time around is 400 meters, okay? So 800 meters means you have to go around a second time. And I was pretty decent. There was me and a couple other guys. Uh, actually, the, big, the, the main guy, his name was Bobby Orr. And so he and I, he was a really good runner. He was really short and really thin. Um, but he could run really, really well. And, uh, you know, so we were coming up this spring, and there was another high school coming in, Victor, and uh, they came in, and so we're out there getting warmed up, and, uh, you know, things are going great. I'm actually, I start, I start the race in the lead, you know, because, you know, if you've ever watched the Olympics, they have those, you know, the outside lane is actually, if you follow the outside lane, it's longer, right? I had the outside lane, so I got to start in front of everybody, so I was winning, right? That's the way I look at it. Um, and so I was there with the starting blocks, and... Uh, the other team, Victor, the Blue Devils, okay, they, they come over, and I'm just like, what in the world is going on? I mean, these guys are all tall, thin, good-looking, kind of like Sam over here. And these guys, there's six of them who pile in, okay? And so there's me, and there's Bobby Orr, and there's these six other guys, okay? And again, this is two laps. And I'm like, okay, these guys look good, but you know what? I bet you, well, they shoot the gun. I'm in the lead. Okay, they shoot that gun, and here I go, I'm a running, and I'm hearing the chariots of fire, and I'm just thinking, <laughs> you know, this is great, and uh, after about three quarters of a lap, whoo, six of them go flying by me, they go flying by me, all six of these Victor guys, I'm like, what, and I'm so, so, I'm, so I'm starting at this point, to examine myself. <laughs> you know, I'm a good runner, but Bobby has always beat me every single race, okay? And so I'm like thinking, wow, this is going to be, like, my buddies are here, and they're never going to let me down on this one. <laughs> well, I hear the footsteps coming, okay? And here comes Bobby, and he is flying. I am not proud of this moment. Okay, let me just first off tell you this. I said, Bobby, I'll give you five bucks if you lose. All of a sudden, he just slows right down. Okay? 
falls right in behind me, and I just, you know, now listen, don't tell anybody about this. I still got my, you know, seventh place participation certificate. I don't want that taken away from me. But as you can see, this was the same exact thing, right? I was looking forward, and I was saying, okay, I'm going to be dead last. And I examined what is going to happen. I am going to buy my way into seventh place. <laughs> and so five, we still joke around about it when I see him, you know, but $5, that's what that looks like. This is it's the same exa example here. You have this manager, you have this manager who he does a self-examination and he recognizes, I've got a problem. I don't have a place to live. I don't, I am in the dumps. I am in a tough spot. And so he decides he's going to buy his way out. He's going to buy his way out. Well, we have to keep moving on here. Um, so in verse 8, the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. I feel like, you know, I would have gotten commended for my shrewdness. But for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. So, you know, this, this parable is called the, the dishonest manager. When we look at this, this is the part that usually can confuse folks, okay? Is it says the master commended the dishonest manager. But what does it say? It says, for his shrewdness. So you could have inserted anything there, okay? You could have inserted there the master commended the teenager. The master commended Patrick for his shrewdness. Do you understand? I don't want you to get hung up on the fact that the word dishonest is in there. Now, can we all say, hey, it's likely true that him writing down his master, his, the rich man's debts was dishonesty? Yes. But what he's commended for is his shrewdness, or if you want to think about it, his cunning, or his wisdom under pressure. And what was that exactly for? It was for the forward thinking. It was looking out to the future and recognizing that I need to do something. We'll get more to that in just a couple of minutes here. So, and then we have here for the sons of this world, and those are just people who aren't following Jesus. Okay? For the the people who aren't following Jesus are more shrewd, cunning in dealing with their own generation, with dealing with other unbelievers than the sons of light, than the followers of Christ. Ouch! Remember, he's talking to his disciples here. He's saying that people who don't follow Jesus are better with their money than people who follow Jesus. Does that sting a little bit? Well, it should. It's, it's been hurting me for a couple weeks now. And then it goes on in verse 9, and I tell you, make, there's that word again, poleo, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Notice that word, eternal dwellings. You know, we have a home in heaven. 
Praise God. And we need to be preparing for that. But at the same time, what it's talking about here is that they may receive you. Who's the they? The people that you're making friends with. Who are you reaching out to for Jesus? Who are you trying to get in a closer relationship with our Lord and Savior? If I read this verse right, and all the commentators agree, we're supposed to make friends with our worldly things, our worldly wealth. We're supposed to use our worldly wealth to try to help people get into heaven. This is, this is a strong, strong commitment to us. Interestingly enough here, it also says when it fails. You know, your wealth will fail. It will. You know, there's, your wealth just goes away and it's gone, right? The practical application of that, right? It's just, you don't have it, it's gone. Your wealth failed. That's the most simple version of it. But then there's also that maybe you have a lot of wealth, but one day your body will fail. And how is your wealth done for you then? Your wealth has failed you again because it hasn't been able to buy you any more time on this earth, in this life. So it fails again. Or it could be that maybe you're like so many of us here that I know, you're just working to pay the man. And you don't have wealth, but you're always aspiring to it but it's always just a little bit out there in front of you. And when you die, you just never got it, and it failed. Your plan for wealth failed. You know, that's not a prosperity gospel right there. It's not. Use your worldly things, use your unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, that doesn't sound like name it and claim it. That doesn't sound like Hey, you can, God, if, you, if, if you're blessed by God, you'll receive everything. Well, verses 10 through 12. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you to the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? Let's pause there for just a moment. You know, this word faithful keeps popping up in here. You see that in there so many times? One who is faithful is also faithful. If you've not been faithful over and over again, we have to be faithful with the resources that God has given to us. You know, some of you might be saying, wait a minute, he says he's talking to the disciples. And as I was talking with Joe at lunch this week about this, I was like, wait a minute, Joe, aren't we talking about Peter and Andrew? They were disciples. Didn't they give up their whole fishing business? And what about Matthew? He had the tax collector's booth. And he gave that thing up to follow Jesus. Isn't he like... Isn't Jesus preaching to the choir here? I love Joe. He's so smart. (laughs) 
Joe says, well, you know, there was more than just 12 disciples. Oh, of course. <laughs> I'm grateful that, you know, I'm probably more like those other disciples. That Jesus would still take time to say, hey, I love you. Let me tell you a few things. Let me give you some pointers. So faithfulness. Well, if we look at this, what is faithful? If you're, if you're faithful in the little, verse 10 says, you'll also be faithful in the much. So with what God has given you, are you faithful with it? If you are, then that is a great indication that if you had more, you would also be faithful with it. But then it says, and the one who is dishonest in a very little is dishonest in much. So if you have a little, but you're not faithful with that, you're dishonest with that, if you get more money, do you think that problem is going to go away? Has anyone watched those lottery reality television shows? It doesn't fix things. So again, he's telling us, be good stewards of what we have been given. Verse 11, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you true riches? Wow, this one made me think back into James. James chapter 2, you know. Um, because as he's sitting here saying, if you've not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, right? If we haven't used what God has given us in this world, if we haven't used our worldly wealth, who will entrust you to true riches? I sit there and I say, whoa, you know, that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty powerful. And as I think back, James says something similar in chapter 2, verses 14 to 18. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So also by faith, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. How is your wealth working for Jesus? When I look at these verses... We need to live like Jesus is real. And that means we need to make, we may need to make adjustments to how we're using the wealth that he's given to us. How he's given us the money, the possessions. We need to look at everything we have as from him. You know, over in Deuteronomy chapter 8, this was also confronting. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 11 to 18. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments and His rules and His statutes, which I command you today, lest you have been eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them. And when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. 
who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water? Who brought you water out of the flinty rock? Who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end? Verse 17, Beware lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. Wow. Verse 18, You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Amen. If you can make money, that's a gift from God. But it doesn't make it yours. It's still his. Well, it also just says here, you know, in verse 13, kind of sums it up here, no servant can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other you cannot serve God and money do you love God that probably means you hate worldly wealth do you love worldly wealth That means you probably hate God. That's what it's saying. Are you devoted to God? That means you probably despise worldly wealth. Do you despise God? That means you're probably devoted to worldly wealth. That's strong. Well, let's talk about that was the meaning. Let's talk about the application. What does this mean for us? We're all, in some way, a manager. There's a danger in this, path, in this parable. You know, the other parables that we've just gone through, you can very clearly see how the father and the prodigal son is, it looks like God, right? In this one, we can't do that, okay? You can't do that. There's too much failure here. So let's not do that. But what we can say is we are all in some way a manager. We are. It may be as an employee where you're working and you have things to manage for your boss. Or it could be like my mom when I was little. She was home with me. and Yes, there was some general hospital and some prices right going on. But there was also a vacuum in it and folding clothes. You know, my, my dad was an electrician for 25 years. I'm not sure he missed a day of work. Well, he did when, yeah, he did miss a day of work. So when the transformer blew up in his face, he missed a few days. But other than that, I just remember him always showing up. Always working hard. We all have time. We all have talents. We all have resources that the Lord has given to us to steward, to manage. How are you using your time? How are you using your talents? 
How are you using your resources? Are you the person at work that everybody says, oh, they're just coasting? Or are you the one who's working from home? Are you the one that never seems to be working hard? Or are you the one that's always there working hard and hopefully one day someone will say, what drives you? I don't understand. You're like a machine. And you'll be able to give the reason for the hope that's within you. We all have a choice. Every one of us. We have time. We have talents. We have resources. We have a choice. A good steward can make good use of those, that worldly wealth for God's kingdom. He's given us the way. An unjust steward or a, a, a wasteful steward is one who will just squander it. Will we, all be, we will all be called, all of us, we will be called to, be, to give an account one day. In this passage, the manager was called to give an account. We will be called to give an account. And some of us might say, hey, I'm good. I'm good. I'm giving my tithe. I'm giving my 10%. 100% of it's God's. You know, Adrian Rogers once said, oh, you give 10%? That's great. You're just like an Old Testament Pharisee. Don't you want to be better than that? And we have been given the way. We have been given the way. I am so grateful that Jesus took the time and turned to these disciples to give them some advice on how to get a worthy welcome. These followers of Christ, he turns to them and he teaches them also. Right? I, that's, that's the love that he's showing us. He's saying, you know what? I know that some of you are struggling with this. Here, let me help you. Let me tell you what, my, what I would like to see. Let me see. Let me show you. I want you to not be thinking about things here on earth. On earth. I'm not looking for you to build up an inheritance. I'm not looking for you to build up for retirement. No. We live forever. We want to be using our worldly wealth to help people get there. So one, one more last story here. Um, and some of you may have heard me mention this before, but um, my grandmother and my grandfather, um, they paid it forward. They used their worldly wealth. I don't know how much of it. It was probably not very much. Um, but my grandfather used to carve wood and he would carve these little signs that said Jesus, except he would like invert it so it, it was hard to read. But then you have to stare at it. And for, I remember for like a good six weeks, I'm like, I have no idea what that thing says. And then, you, ha you know, you have to play with your eyes in order to be able to see the depth perception. And I'd be like, oh, that says Jesus. And then we had one at the house for a long time, right? And then my grandmother, she would have... You know, they have these plastic grid work things, and you can have yarn go through them. You can kind of build things out of them. I guess it was like old-time Legos. I don't know. Um, 
but she would build these little churches out of this, this grid work yarn stuff, and inside of it, she would put a music box, right? And the music that was in there was How Great Thou Art, okay? And my, my mom actually still has one at the house, and every time I'm there, I, I show my little kids. I'll say, hey, see this? My grandma made that. You know, they were investing in things for eternity. My grandparents put things in my hands so that I would hopefully get to know Jesus one day. I didn't grow up in a Christian home, but they kept putting things around me so that Jesus could speak. That's how we need to be thinking about our worldly wealth. That's how we need to be saying, hey, how can I do things that can help win people to eternity, to eternal dwellings? And then on that day, you'll be like one of those in the parable of the talents. And Jesus will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Lord in heaven, thank you that you care enough about us to write little passages to those who are following you. Just to give us a little hint, you know, a little nudge. And this one kind of stung a little bit because it deals with the pocketbook. But, Lord, that's just who you are. You covered all areas. And so I'm grateful that you included this one here today. Lord, thank you that you show us a way to use worldly wealth toward worthy wealth. A worldly welcome. Lord, when I go to heaven one day, my grandparents will be there to welcome me. That's a worthy welcome, Lord. I am so grateful for how they did little things just to try to help pave the way for the gospel. And so one day when I am reunited with them, I'll be welcomed. Welcomed by Jesus and welcomed by those people who were trying to advance the gospel. Lord, thank you for this message. I pray that if anyone have more questions about this or for people that are here that are new they have questions about this that they would feel free to come and, and ask those questions and thank you just for coming today lord we seek to glorify you even as we leave here today and we pray these things in your son's name jesus christ amen